It's Tuesday. It's PFTPM. Shireen's having a good day. She can't see me or hear me. Lucky Shireen. Once she can see me and hear me, she will have to deal with me for the balance of the hour. She probably has her fingers crossed that it will take 59 and a half minutes. Anyway, we're getting you ready for tonight's games. Two games on Tuesday night, played simultaneously, 7 o'clock Eastern, on Fox. Depending upon where you live, you will get Washington at Philadelphia or Seattle at the Rams. These are the final two games of Week 15 postponed due to the fact that there were COVID outbreaks. And there are still ongoing outbreaks for the Washington football team. Not as much for the Rams. They got some guys back, but the Washington football team did not. I hear Shireen. I hear Shireen. I wonder if she hears me. We'll find out soon enough. We have these technical issues from time to time, but they usually resolve themselves very smoothly. And now I've just jinxed us, and it will be a full hour of just me. But we will have Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times joining us in about a half an hour. I want to talk to him about the issues surrounding the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Antonio Brown's return, the aftermath of the shutout, the stunning 9 to nothing loss at home on Sunday night to the New Orleans Saints, now 0-4 against the Saints in the regular season. Where does the team go from here? Are they capable of turning it around? Can they get the one seed? Can they keep it going in January? Are the injuries reaching critical mass? Last year, it felt like when guys got injured, they had a next man up vibe, and they would just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And also, are these hits starting to take a toll on Tom Brady, plus whatever else happens to come up during our conversation with Rick Stroud? I'm trying to filibuster as best I can in the hopes that Shereen will pop up on the screen magically. She has not yet. They're still working on it, they tell me. So I will continue to do this like I used to do it in the old days, all by myself. The Washington football team will be starting quarterback Gilbert Garrett. To, oh, wait, wait, Garrett Gilbert. As I've said before, when you get down to the backup quarterbacks whose names are interchangeable, when you flip the last name for the first name, you know that you're getting down toward the the – the lower levels. Hey, these are professional athletes. I'm not taking anything away from Garrett Gilbert. And now I'm doubting whether it's Garrett Gilbert or Gilbert Garrett. Let me check again. It is Garrett Gilbert. And it's fortunate for Washington because he's got some time with the team. Knows the system. But with Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen, both on COVID-19 reserve, they have to go with Garrett Gilbert. They were hoping that Taylor Heineke would make it back for tonight's game that ultimately did not happen so plenty of Washington players continue to be I hear Shireen Shireen's got me I don't know if we're going to get her up on the screen but let's go ahead and do it so we can continue this discussion so I don't have to keep talking for the full hour are we getting there are we there are we there here she comes drum roll please without further ado Shireen you didn't have to deal with me for about three or four (laughs) minutes today was not is but it was your lucky day well, I could see your lips moving, but I couldn't hear anything you said. It's probably not the first time I've muted you, right? Oh, well, that's uh, – I, 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 I would not try to venture the over-under on that specific proposition. But I was talking about the Washington football team, how Gilbert Garrett yeah. – I mean, Garrett Gilbert is starting tonight because Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen aren't available. Look, it's a shame, but it happened. And it's amazing it happened – so late in the season that we feel like teams are virtually decimated. And see, the, the problem is because it happened in the higher stakes games, it feels more significant. You've got teams that are circling the possibility of a playoff berth and you're having a potential death blow applied to their playoff chances. If this had happened in September or October, hey, we got the rest of the season to recover from this. It's just an early season loss. No big deal. Now, as these games mean more and more, it just feels like it's more of a crippling punch to the gut of the Browns last night when they lost to the Raiders and of Washington if they lose tonight. The Rams, who knows? I think they'll find a way to pull it together. We saw them get it done last week without Jalen Ramsey or Tyler Higbee. But I really do feel like Washington is outmanned in this critical game because between Philadelphia and Washington, I feel like whoever loses this is done as a practical matter. Maybe they still find a way to thread the needle, but losing tonight is going to make it hard to get in. Oh, no question, Mike. And it's harder when you don't have your quarterback, obviously, and you don't have your backup quarterback. And that's what Cleveland went through yesterday. And that's what Washington's going through today. I mean, they signed Garrett Gilbert last week. How much of the offense can he possibly know? He's made one career start. That was last year for Dallas and actually played pretty well, but not well enough for the Cowboys to win that game and not well enough for the Cowboys to keep him on the roster this season. So now here, he's, here he is walking into Washington, and he's going to start a game 
uh, tonight, a critical game. And so you're right. If this had happened earlier in the season, another prospect, Mike, would they may have been able to move games around with bye weeks and everything else. We're far past that. And these games just seem more critical at this juncture. And you don't feel good about the Browns playoff chances after that loss yesterday and you're not going to feel good about Washington's playoff chances if they lose tonight these are just critical games at this point in the season and it's unfortunate that it's happened to these teams in the playoff chase that don't have their quarterback there's a lot of positions like you said you saw it with the Rams last week were able to overcome not having Jalen Ramsey and some other players it's harder when it's your quarterback, and it's even harder when it's your top two quarterbacks. There's the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. If you're down to your third-string quarterback, you really don't have any. Oh, there have been teams in the past, and I remember when Mike McCarthy was the coach of the Green Bay Packers, they didn't carry a third quarterback, and his attitude was, if yeah. we get down to the third quarterback, we're already screwed, so it doesn't matter who's yeah. taking the snaps if we have two quarterbacks injured in one game. And, you know, as you were talking about Garrett Gilbert and we showed the B-roll industry term of him playing quarterback for the Cowboys last year, I had a moment of clarity, sort of an epiphany, maybe a Christmas miracle or a Festivus miracle, as the case may be. Maybe I'm influenced by the fact that Bill Belichick was visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, present and future, <laughs> and it caused him to apologize for just the latest time he was, you know, kind of short with the media. Either way, I'm starting to feel bad. Because I've gotten the big picture. It's just kind of opened up in front of me. A guy like Garrett Gilbert, who has every reason to give up, every reason to move on with what Chuck Noll would call your life's work and call it quits with football. He loves it enough that he's still doing what he has to do, staying in shape, ready to go, taking whatever he can get, seizing any opportunity to make himself better. I'm not being sarcastic as I say that. I know as the words come out of my mouth, it sounds like I'm just being a big sarcastic jerk. I'm, I'm serious. These guys are not giving up yeah. on their dream. This class of backup quarterback where you can interchange their first name and their last name, these guys who just kind of always are hanging around, there's always that group of guys that's just kind of hanging around and you hear their names and every once in a while, the dominoes fall in a way that they get to play, and nobody really wants to see them play. That's the other side of it. It's kind of depressing. Nobody wanted to see Nick Mullins last night. Nobody wants to see Garrett Gilbert tonight. There's a sense of regret and like, oh, boy, why do we have to watch this guy? I respect the passion that they necessarily have because the paycheck isn't so gigantic. It's not like he's won the lottery. He's getting a minimum salary regular season game check. Big deal. It's not going to change his life. The fact that he keeps pursuing something that he truly loves, that to me is what's impressive. So I rescind and retract all sarcastic and snarky remarks that I have made about low-level backup quarterbacks, except for Kurt Beneke. Is that fair? Well, and, and I think what it also tells you, Mike, is some of these leagues that are relying on these quarterbacks to come in and play. It's why we can't have multiple leagues. And it's also what you're going to see if the NFL continues to expand. You're going to get some guys like Garrett Gilbert who are going to be starting quarterbacks in the NFL. There just aren't 38, 40 quarterbacks if it expands that much. Quarterbacks who can play in the NFL. I mean, there aren't even 32 quarterbacks, frankly, who can play in the NFL who are capable of winning games on a consistent basis. So it's what you're going to have moving forward if you continue to expand this league. More guys like this are going to get opportunities. But you're right. I mean, kudos to, to Garrett Gilbert for staying in shape and waiting for his opportunity. His opportunities come just like it did once last season for him in Dallas. He'll get to make his, his eighth appearance in a game and a second start maybe impresses somebody to come back and be a backup with their whether it's with Washington or somebody else next season and see I'm going to disagree with you I think there are enough quarterbacks now to justify expansion because it wasn't that long ago where they truly didn't have 32 bad quarterbacks to go around Sims and I earlier today were trying to identify the worst starting quarterback in the NFL and the names we were throwing out are guys who are starters they are guys who who'd you play come up with and they have their moments Jared Goff who just beat the Cardinals. Uh, ben Roethlisberger's yeah. down in the conversation right now, given his current abilities. We took out the rookies because it's really not fair to okay. say Trevor Lawrence is the worst because what chance did he have this year? Zach Wilson, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Jones is down in that very lower tier. But what will happen is if there are 34, 36 teams, it'll be a gradual process, and I think it's going to happen because it's going to be driven by the desire to maximize gambling revenue, and you maximize it by increasing your inventory of total games, you will have 
players who, through the process of getting the reps, through the process of playing the games, they will get better. And if they don't, someone else comes in. And, yeah, there will be a couple of teams that are really bad. There will always be a couple of teams that are really bad. Their starting quarterbacks will be really bad. But for the most part, I think there are enough serviceable quarterbacks. It's one of the reasons why 28 teams are still alive, technically. Because there are enough guys that can move the chains and score points. And tonight it will be Garrett Gilbert. Twelve players on the Washington roster are still on COVID reserve. Three practice squad players at well as well. Seven assistant coaches not available tonight as Washington takes on Philadelphia. And Kyle Shermer will be the backup to Garrett Gilbert in Washington as they play in Philly. And I don't know if you saw this, Shereen, earlier today. The Cowboys have started another trend because they brought their yeah. bleachers to Washington last Sunday, week 14, because there was a concern about whether or not the visiting team heated seats were working. Cowboys brought theirs. Washington taking theirs to Philly, not because the benches in Philly don't work, but because now this is becoming a thing. We're going to pack up these benches. We're going to put them on the plane or on the flatbed or strap them to the top of somebody's Ford F-150, depending upon the length of the drive, and take them to the visiting team stadium. And that's what I think Washington is committed to do for the rest of the year. They're going to do it on the road. And I think that we're going to see other teams start doing it. This is going to be something that was born of necessity that now becomes a thing. They can take a little piece of their home stadium with them wherever they go. Well, and this is what question I had, Mike. So they're still going to have the crappy benches at home and not have those at home. They need to take those back home and not have their crappy benches at home. Looks like their road benches are better than their home benches. Well, I suspect the visiting team benches are the crappy ones. Then again, I've been to FedEx Field. Everything <laughs> right. there it's bad. is crappy. For a stadium that was built about 20, 25 years ago, yeah. it, it, it has been, as they say, rode hard and put away wet. Yeah. That is a nasty place of a stadium. And the sooner that they can upgrade to someplace else, the better. It really is. I've been to plenty of stadiums over the years. It is by far, not even close, the worst stadium i've ever been to at the professional level by far it's not even a question it's the worst and uh if daniel snyder could sue me for defamation on behalf of his stadium he probably would but the ultimate defense to any defamation case is it's true it's the worst stadium in the nfl (laughs) by far especially now that the oakland coliseum is out of the mix all right COVID 19 continues to be an issue and looky here it took months and he managed to avoid it He isn't ensconced in plexiglass like Kirk Cousins, but Cole Beasley, who I respect because we now know instead of complaining about the vaccination rules and staunchly being unvaccinated, he could have just gotten a fake vaccination card like Antonio Brown or the many others who are out there who I believe have them. But the NFL isn't interested in finding out Beasley test positive and he's out 10 days. That's the procedure that still applies for unvaccinated. If you're vaccinated, you got a path to get back more quickly than ever before unvaccinated 10 days and he's going to miss what will be the most important game of the year at new england this weekend is the eight and six bills try to hold on for dear life to their playoff hopes and if they lose shereen i think they may be done i think they may be out i think they're going to miss it if they lose this weekend even though their last two games are winnable i think this is a potential death blow and without cole beasley it's going to make it harder for the offense to operate well, it does make it harder, Mike. 76 catches, 640 yards, and a touchdown this season. And he's been the reliable guy on third down, as he's always been in his entire career. He just plays that slot so well. They rely on him a lot uh, on third down. So they are going to miss him, and he's not going to be there. There's no chance of him testing out like there would be for a vaccinated player. So, again, it's unfortunate. But because he's unvaccinated, there's zero chance to come back. And I know people say, well, look at what the Browns went through last and look at what the Rams and the Seahawks and the uh, Washington and all these teams are going to go through today. I get that, but they did have a chance to get their quarterbacks back. They did have a chance to get their players back. You saw Von Miller come off the list today. So they, those guys have a chance to come back. Cole Beasley has no chance to come back because he's unvaccinated. He will miss 10 days, period, end of story. There's no question about that. So unfortunate for the Bills that, that they won't have him, but they'll have to make up for him some way. They know well enough in advance, at least it didn't come on game day, Mike, when he tests positive and they have to try to do something on the day of the game. And he would have missed two games in that event because the 10 days right. would have knocked him out for week 17 as well. So 
hey, the Bills are going to be up against it. It's going to be a great game on Sunday. Every game for the teams that still are alive feel like they are so much more significant. Tonight's game as we wrap week 15, Thursday night with the 49ers at the Titans. That's a huge game for both of those teams. Dramatic consequences. And if you watch Football Night in America, and if you do, thank you very much, Steve Kornacki's been on the past couple of weeks, and you see how the numbers swing based on the outcome of one game. Look at what happened to the Browns last night. Daniel Carlson makes his kick. They're in fourth place in the division. He made the kick. If he misses it, they're in first place. If he makes it, they're in fourth. Whatever. They know who we mean. But it just, yeah. it just shows you that with all these teams packed together, every game means something. The Chiefs have a big game this weekend as they reluctantly step into the number one position in the AFC. Andy Reid, the coach of the team, expressing some regret that they now wear that crown because heavy is the head that wears it because they don't get to wear it for very long. But for now, they are the top seed. Joining Travis Kelsey on the COVID-19 Reserve list, Tyreek Hill, cornerback Rashad Fenton, and tight end Blake Bell. Now, these are all guys who are vaccinated, so they can come back. You don't have to have that 24-hour period between a pair of consecutive negative tests. But, but still, you know, Shereen, the new procedures went into place last Thursday. Baker Mayfield t- tested positive last Wednesday. Right. He didn't get back for Monday. He's not back today. So... This new path may not be quite as easy as we thought it was going to be. The Chiefs now have to worry not just about whether or not they're going to get two of their most important players back, not named Patrick Mahomes, but whether or not more guys are going to land on the list because the Chiefs could be at the front end of a situation like we had last week. The difference, though, they're not testing all players weekly. They're testing based on symptoms. They're testing based on high-risk exposure to a positive player which this could be a ripple effect as we have guys who are positive. We've got to test other guys, and maybe some of them will be positive. So we still could have outbreaks. We still could have problems. Just because they've dramatically reduced, in theory, the testing, you could have a team like the Chiefs in the same mess that the Browns, Washington, and the Rams were in this week. Yeah, so the Seahawks have seven out, and those include Tyler Lockett, Alex Collins, and Travis Homer tonight. The Rams have 13 on COVID. At one point last week, they had 29, so that's why this game was postponed. So they're now at sort of a reasonable level and got some of their biggest-name players back. 51 players, Mike. We haven't gotten the numbers yet for today. 51 players went on yesterday. That's a record. That included four positive tests from Sunday. So from the start of last week... Through yesterday, 213 players have gone on to the COVID list, most of those as positive cases. So this isn't done. And I think over the next three weeks, we're probably with Christmas coming this week and New Year's the week after, we're going to see more of these. And I know they've put in enhanced protocols and guys aren't supposed to be around a whole lot of people, but let's be realistic. It's probably going to happen. No, 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 no. Time out, time out, time out. Uh, Unless you are in an outbreak. Those enhanced protocols they put in last Thursday went away. They went away, except for Only the teams for that have an outbreak. Teams. Right, right. Yeah. But, but for just like three days, they resurrected the masks for everyone, limit of 15 in the weight room, restricted activities away from the facility, no meetings inside, virtual or outdoors. That, those are all gone unless you're in the enhanced protocols. You're in the, if you're in the enhanced, enhanced protocols, it all comes back. And doesn't it feel like, though, Mike, that we're not through with this? Like, this is, there's going to be more next week after Christmas. There's going to be more the week after that, after New Year's. And it's going to affect how the playoff race proceeds from here on out. Who's not going to have their quarterback next week or the week after? It's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. Well, they are hoping, I believe, that as the largely asymptomatic Omicron variant races through these facilities virtually unchecked, that it will result in players not having symptoms or, and look, we got to be realistic about this. They're not going to self-report their symptoms. They're going to put their head down and they're going to play. When TJ Watt tested positive a few weeks ago on a Monday, some people said to me, well, now, now we know why he didn't play all that well the day before against Cincinnati. He probably wasn't feeling well. T.J. Right. Watt's not wired to raise his hand and say, I'm not feeling well. Football players are wired to play football. That's what makes it so remarkable when a guy like Ben Roethlisberger 
says, I'm not feeling well, and he ends up being positive for COVID-19. Most guys would not do that. And Roethlisberger is doing the right thing, but it is the thing that cuts so dramatically against who and what football players no are question. and what they stand for. But that was one of the first texts I got from somebody in a position of significant influence with one of the teams once these new protocols went through. Everyone is going to hide their symptoms. And unless somebody's got a fever or they're staggering around from lethargy and every other thing that may affect them to the point where they can't control it and conceal it, this is what we're going to see, this is what we're going to have, and this is what we're going to be dealing with as we go forward. And the, the, the problem, though, is for the teams, the idea that, that if you do start getting positives, if guys have obvious symptoms, they do targeted testing, and you do the high-risk testing based upon who they were exposed to, that's when you can have the domino effect where you get a bunch of guys testing positive who are asymptomatic, yeah. but you have to test them now. They, they, and nothing stops them from revising the protocol further. Because what they did That's right. last week, they took a protocol that, as it was applied to the current situation, made it harder to play games and get everyone paid. If they realize that these protocols are going to jeopardize the ability to play games and get everyone paid, you know what they're going to do? They're going to change them again. Because they are getting through the season. They are getting the games in. The owners aren't going to lose their money, Shireen, and the players aren't going to lose their money. That's the, the wink-nod deal that labor and management have done here. Well, and that's why we saw the protocols changed last week. And you're right, if, if it affects games going forward, we're going to see them change again. I did think, like you said, though, that the new protocols would allow for players to return much quicker, and we really haven't seen that so far. Like, I was convinced that Taylor Heineke would start tonight, and it didn't happen. Baker Mayfield last night, it didn't happen. So I am amazed that these new protocols, guys aren't coming back as quick as I thought they were going to come back, but because I thought we were going to see some really quick turnarounds. Theoretically, you can come back if you're vaccinated the day after testing positive, but we haven't seen that so far, Mike. The Packers have a player on the COVID-19 reserve list, receiver Marquez Valdez Scantling and the knee-jerk reaction when you hear that is uh-oh let's hope Aaron Rodgers isn't a close contact but remember the 90-day testing holiday that applies to him after his positive from November also precludes him from that automatic five-day absence that happens if you are unvaccinated and you are close contact with someone who's infected so for the same reason he's not tested every day and won't be until two days after the NFC championship if they win that game he also isn't subject to five days of absence if he has close contact with a player who does test positive. So they don't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers not being available. And, Shereen, that may be the saving grace here. Once every team yeah. deals with this and the virus does wash through the facility, you got a bunch of guys who are exempt from testing of any kind through the end of the season. That was a point we made over the weekend. So we won't get to the point, you know, with the Browns or the Rams yeah. or Washington, or now the Chiefs potentially, where we're worried about will they be able to suit up enough guys. And one thing I was told over the weekend, 44 is the magic number. I'm surprised it's that high. You tried to get the answer yeah. from the commissioner last week at the ownership meetings, and yeah. he gave you a non-answer. When calls were being made to determine whether they could go forward with the three games that got postponed, 21 on offense, 20 on defense, kicker, punter, long snapper, and basically two quarterbacks, seven offensive linemen as part of that. If you fall below that, that's when they're going to say, we don't expect you to go forward. That's a high number. So it's not going to take much for a game to get scrapped if they can't postpone it. Well, and then, like I said, the Rams last week were at 29. There's no way you could have played a game with that number of people on the COVID reserve list. So absolutely, Mike. I mean, that seems like a reasonable number. It is higher than I thought simply because I thought the NFL would force teams to play with whatever they had. You saw Kendall Hinton start at quarterback last season for the Broncos. So I was convinced they were going to say, throw whoever you have out there and let's go, go play. I think the Broncos ended up having to go forward with Hinton because of the circumstances of that case where the yeah. quarterbacks reportedly took off their tracking devices, put them in the four corners of the room, gathered in the middle of the room and watched film, not realizing that it was all being, or not caring, that it was all being recorded via surveillance camera. They all know the cameras are in the rooms, but that's what got the Broncos bust and I think made the league less inclined yep. to postpone that game. But I thought what they would do, and I saw 
something recently, and I didn't track down the story, but it, it looks like what the NBA allowed a team to do was go out and sign players on an emergency basis to fill out the roster. I thought that's what the NFL would do. Push comes to shove, double secret protocol. You need 10 guys, go pick up 10 guys. You need five guys, go get five guys. Whatever it takes to not have to cancel these games. But there was real talk about cancellation, not forfeit, but cancellation of those three games. The union got involved aggressively to persuade the NFL to postpone because I think the NFL didn't want to start down that path. Because I think once you give teams an out, once they know there's a fallback, you're going to see that potentially become that safety net that they, you know, they're less vigilant about keeping themselves from getting positive because they just believe that if it hits the fan, it's not going to be a question of me not getting paid this week. It's just a question of we play the game a day or two later. Well, and you look at a team like the Buccaneers with a quarterback like Tom Brady, and they haven't had the COVID issues that other teams have had. And I guarantee you that's part of Tom Brady saying, look, here's what we're going to do, and we are not going to get COVID in this place. And they've been they've been very good. And, and just like last year, I still think that, that making the playoffs and being successful in the playoffs is going to come down to how COVID vigilant some of these teams are going forward. Are you going to have your quarterback when you need him? Are you going to have your key players when you need them to win, whether it be a key game like tonight's games for, for these teams or a playoff game going forward? Bruce Arians from time to time will brag about the fact that when the Buccaneers go on the road, they adhere to the unofficial protocol of everyone stays in the hotel for the evening because that isn't the case as a general rule for the vaccinated players this year. I think the guy who gets the credit for that is Tom Brady. I, I think when, when Tommy <laughs> no goes question. door to door, you better be in your room. You better be in your bed or playing Xbox or PS5 or messing with your phone or doing whatever, anything other than not being in that room where you're going to have to listen to him. Uh, Tom Brady, by the way, had been the overwhelming favorite, the only guy in negative betting territory, minus 170 last week to be the MVP. It has swung. Brady is now at plus 250. The favorite is Aaron Rodgers at plus 110. Woke mob, be damned. Remember a few weeks ago, he was going on and on on Pat McAfee's show about how never going to vote for me now, I'm not going to win it now. He's the favorite now. So maybe some people are wasting their money putting the money down on Aaron Rodgers, and I misspoke. Tom Brady is plus 210, not plus 250. Rodgers is plus 110. He's the favorite. It changes every week. It changes dramatically from day to day. It changed a lot from yesterday to today. Yesterday, Brady was still the favorite. He was in plus territory, though. Now it's Rodgers. And there's Jonathan Taylor. Shereen, look at him. Creeping up. Creeping up. The number three guy on the list. Unbelievable. Uh, it is, Mike. And I, I do think it's down to three players, Rodgers, Brady, or Taylor. We're deep enough into this thing where you're getting down to, to those players. But let's be realistic. A receiver has never won this, not even Jerry Rice. He should have won it the year Elway won it. He won every other except the AP, which is the official NFL awards. John Elway won it the year Jerry Rice should have won it, and he won the MVP award and all the others that vote for MVP awards. Um, Running backs, you have to set some sort of a record to win it. You look at the year that Adrian Peterson, who was the last to do it, the year he won it, you look at LaDainian Tomlinson, Sean Alexander. You have to have a really special year where you're breaking records. He has to break some records to be in that conversation in the end. And if voters are looking for a reason not to vote for Aaron Rodgers and Jonathan Taylor were to say, set the NFL record for total touchdowns and go over 2,000 yards, perhaps voters vote for Jonathan Taylor at that point. Now the Colts are going to have to make the playoffs, obviously. It's going to take more than just Jonathan Taylor doing all this great stuff to get him the MVP award instead of just Offensive Player of the Year. But it it usually goes, Mike, as we know, to one of the best teams in either the NFC or the AFC, that top seed, the quarterback of that top seed. If I had to vote today, I have a vote. If I had to vote today, I'm voting for Aaron Rodgers. I think right now today he's been – No. I would vote for Aaron Rodgers. No, they said the voters won't. They said they won't vote for him. The woke mob. The woke mob isn't going to vote for him. You have one of the votes and you would vote for Aaron Rodgers. I would vote for Aaron Rodgers today. If we were turning in our votes, he would be my choice. 
I'm starting to think they're exaggerating the existence of a woke mob. Is that possible? Uh, can we put the graphic up again? We've got to take a break, but I want to make, I want to make two yeah. more observations very quickly. If I were looking for value here and if I were inclined to wager, I'm not allowed to wager technically yeah. according to NBC policy, which is good because I wouldn't anyway. Patrick Mahomes, to me, is the one I would like at 16-1 because yeah. if the Chiefs finish at the one seed, how does he not get some votes? I like that 16-1. to one. Matthew yeah. Stafford, I don't like it 12 to 1 because no. he's going to lose some votes to Cooper Cup. Even though, as you said, no receivers ever won it, Cooper Cup's got a chance to set the single season receiving record yeah. and the single season yardage record. I think that there could be some Cooper Cup votes, just like when there was the, in 2016, rookie of the year vote split between Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, even though Prescott still yeah. won it. There was some MVP buzz for both guys, but you're not going to muster enough votes when both guys are in the conversation. All right, we'll continue the conversation as it relates to Tom Brady, the Buccaneers, Antonio Brown, who once was in the MVP conversation in Pittsburgh, if you recall. We'll discuss that with Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times when PFTPM continues right after this. Our guest today has had quite a month. He got Antonio Brown suspended for three games. He got Urban Meyer fired. Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, I brought you on for one reason and one reason only. I'm telling you this. Stay the hell out of my backyard. Welcome in. How are you? Yeah, the, the, the Miami Dolphins are not inviting me down there. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, is nervous. Well, it's been an eventful month for you. Congratulations on all the great work and the great reporting. Reporting that was vindicated. I know you took a lot of heat from some for the Antonio Brown report, and it was right. And the Josh Lambeau reporting, not that you had as many people upset with you over that. It was more of Ding Dong, the witch is dead when it came to Josh Lambeau and the aftermath of it. But, uh, but great stuff and, and great reporting. And I, I'm, I'm curious now about the Buccaneers with Antonio Brown back. What, what is the overall vibe of Brown, his return? Is he chagrined? Is he contrite? And do they plug him straight back in to the roster? Yeah, Mike, and not just in the roster, but in the lineup. And I mean, you know, the timing for them uh, sort of works out, right? You lose a guy like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans probably isn't going to play this week. They're desperate now uh, for receivers that Tom Brady can trust. And that's why he's still here. You know, make no mistake. I mean, I know what Bruce Arians has said. You know, he was the last strike guy and all that. The umpire is not Bruce Arians in this case. Um, when you have Tom Brady, it's a zero-sum game. You're there to win. Super Bowls, nothing less. And that's why Antonio Brown is coming back in the building. Presumably, he's healthy again. He hasn't played since October against uh, Philadelphia. So, you know, they definitely can need him. But he's not going to be able to do the things Chris Godwin did. He will give them a deep threat. He'll give them a guy that, that Brady trusts. And uh, they certainly need him from a football standpoint. But beyond that, you know, some fans are upset. Some are, you know, just want to win. So it's kind of a mixed reaction. Rick, you talked about it's Tom Brady's team and he wanted him back, but did the Bucks publicly at least, they said they had a decision to make. Did they come close at all to considering to consider cutting him or was this all along he's coming back and they just said publicly what they had to say? Yeah, I think it was more just, you know, why are we dealing with this now? Let's kick the can down the road. I mean, there was three weeks where presumably Antonio Brown – could find more trouble, right? Um, one of the things he did, and I don't know that there was a, a condition on this, but he settled with Stephen Ruiz, the chef that he owned, owed $10,000 to. We don't know the amount, but um, that settlement was reached. So um, there might have been some boxes he needed to check, but from what I understand, he was rehabbing. He was getting himself back in shape. He was in the building uh, quite a bit, which is different from the old days when you were suspended. You had to go away, but he had an injury. So I think he did what, what they felt he needed to do to come back. And like I said, I never doubted. I didn't think there was any question. The time to suspend him or the time to cut him would have been, you know, when they found out he used a fake Vax card. If that's not going to do it, you know, I think people also forget that this was a fairly serious situation. I mean, he got COVID uh, week two, which means he was in there with vaccinated people pretending to be vaccinated. Guys like Bruce Arians, who's immune compromised, um, Tom Moore, 80-something-year-old uh, assistant. So uh, they're very fortunate that something worse didn't happen. And, um, you know, I, I know that uh, 
Bruce was upset about it, but not to the extent that they're not going to try to win football games with him. And as it relates to putting him in the lineup, there was some buzz that maybe they were considering basically putting him on ice for the rest of the regular season. He's got some incentives. He's within a touchdown of unlocking 333,000. 100 yards and change, another 333,000. The rest of it's going to be harder for him to get, but kind of an extra message. You're back, but we're just going to keep you in, the, in our back pocket until we really need you. That went out the window, though. To the extent they were thinking about that, that's gone when you have Mike Evans with a week-to-week hamstring injury and Chris Godwin done for the year with a torn ACL. Mike, I watched Tom Brady run three pop passes to him so he could get his 50 catches or whatever it was a year ago or, you know, another quarter million dollars in the final game when, you know, Ronald Jones needed a few yards for a 1,000. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that that Brady takes care of, of, you know, his guys. And to the extent that, you know, this year on offense, he has been pretty exclusive with Gronkowski, the two receivers, obviously Evans and Godwin, and Leonard Fournette, um, and almost to the detriment, you know, I think we saw it against the Saints when those guys got hurt. All of a sudden, guys like Cam Braid and Ronald Jones and Scotty Miller, who had been inactive, they were out of sync with Brady. They hadn't gotten many reps with him in practice. It sounds like an excuse, but it's a pretty good one. They did not use their whole roster the way they did a year ago. And um, Brady's guys have been the ones that have been doing the heavy lifting. So, now he's got to find, you know, Brown again. Um, Rashard Perriman may come off the COVID list. We don't know if that's going to happen or not. He would be his number two, presumably. And they may have to do it with a couple of tight ends. Maybe O.J. Howard gets back out there a little bit. But they haven't used their whole roster on offense like they did a year ago. Hey, Rick, but before Shereen asks your question, let me follow up. Let me follow yeah. up. Why is it? Because I, I noticed that last year. You could change out one guy for another. One guy's injured. Another guy goes in, and it works. Another guy's in, and it works all the way into the postseason. Big catch. It seemed like you could count on Scotty Miller for one a game. Tyler Johnson, the catches he made in the postseason. Yeah. It felt like it was working with everyone. Why have they allowed it to skew toward his guys this year and not have everyone in a position where they can have that chemistry with Brady right away? Well, I think you've also seen the offense morph into a true Tom Brady offense. I mean, you know, uh, teams are playing cover two against them. Uh, without Brown, they were 5-0. and oh. They lit it up with a few games they had their three receivers. But without that, um, I think he just trusts who he trusts. You know, he, he couldn't trust Ronald Jones in pass protection. It's been a lot about Brady not getting hit. Um, the offensive line has done a good job. But if teams are going to play cover two, he wants to run the ball. He wants to check it down to his running back. Burnett's done a better job catching the ball um, this year and running routes. So it's just been a matter of trust. His guys have gotten the lion's share of the work, and and he's not compromising on that this year like he did a year ago when he was trying to, you know, incorporate everybody, get used to everyone, ingratiate himself perhaps with some of their other players. That, That just hasn't been the story. It is really all focused on winning each game and trying to put themselves in the best position to win a Super Bowl. Chris Godwin was so instrumental last year in their playoff run, and he's obviously been their leading receiver this season. They seem to have a chemistry that maybe he doesn't quite have with Mike Evans. Even with A.B. coming back, Rick, how much are they going to miss Chris Godwin, and can they repeat without him? Shereen, it's going to be impossible to replace him from this stance. Uh, You know, he plays the slot position. You can go back to the Pittsburgh Steelers and Heinz Ward, or to the uh, Cardinals with Larry Fitzgerald. In this offense, that guy does a lot of things. And Chris Godwin does things that no one else can do, which is crack down on linebackers and defensive linemen in the run game. That's where they're going to miss him as much as anything. But he makes those tough inside catches, those combat catches. He has tremendous hands. He had one little spell where he fought his hands in the postseason. Um, And he just does everything right. And he's also a guy who never comes out off the field. He he just doesn't seem to be exhausted ever. So you're going to need several players to attempt to play that position and to do those things. They'll miss him more than they would almost any receiver, I think, because of all that he does in this offense. Hey, Rick, there has been plenty of talk about Tom Brady not running the ball as much as we've seen him run, specifically not take the hits. There's been some speculation that some of those hits have maybe dinged him up. And we know last year 
they're not bashful about hiding injuries. Is there a concern, given the things you see, the things you've noticed, the things you've heard, that maybe he's breaking down a little bit this far into the season? There may be some dings that they're not going to tell us about, that he gets treated by Alex Guerrero off the books so they don't even know he's injured. Anything like that for us to be concerned about in this 44-year and four-month-old body? Well, just that it's a year older. And I think the, the game that he had against the Bills, you can see the frustration on Bruce Arians on the sidelines because he ran the ball way too much. And um, he called his own number on the goal line in a quarterback sneak, and they took some liberties with him. He was very sore, according to some coaches I talked to afterwards. Even after that sneak, you saw him on the sideline immediately pick up a ball and begin throwing it. Trainer went over to him. He said, I'm okay. Um, they're giving him days off. This is the time of year where they did that a year ago. So the pitch count is, you know, trying to control that. Um, even in warm-ups, he doesn't throw every ball. So I think that they recognize with a 17th game, with his age, it's not going to get better. But have I seen velocity come off his fastball or anything like that? No. I simply think he doesn't want to get hit. He's never wanted to be a guy that's standing there very long. And, you know, the Saints certainly have the right formula and the right personnel. Not everyone can do that. Um, but it's certainly something to watch. I mean, we're, we're well beyond what any quarterback has attempted to do, and it's amazing that he's still doing it at a high level. They were pretty impressive last year, Rick, going on the road as the wild card team and winning three road games before they got to play the Super Bowl at home. They've had their road woes this year for whatever reason. Is this a team that you think can go on the road, say they get that three or four seed and have to go win two games on the road to get back to the Super Bowl? Is this a team that can win on the road this year? Shereen, I think it's going to be very difficult. I, I think they lost a lot more than just that Saints game. You know, they fell out of the number two seat. They still have a chance to get it back if, if Dallas and, and the Cardinals were to lose and they won out. Um, but to go on the road more than a game, you know, last year was the perfect scenario, right? No fans in New Orleans or very few. Um, Green Bay was a balmy day. It was 33 degrees. Uh, they were loud, but it was, again, it wasn't a full Lambeau field. They may have to go back through there. And so in a one-game situation with the pressure on the Packers, that, that would just be what it is. But um, if they only get to host a single playoff game, if you go through Tom Brady's career, when he's won a Super Bowl and gotten back the next year, most of the time he's gotten to the championship game. But many times he hosted that, or at least he had a couple playoff games at home. This team had to have two playoff games at home since 1979. They were in a position to do that. They lost to the Saints. They cannot lose again, and they're going to need some help. So I think it would be tough for them, quite frankly, to win two games on the road to get to Los Angeles. Hey, Rick, last one for you, and this may take more time than what we really have. It may be a subject for another day, but I'm curious. We saw Urban Meyer be brought down by his persistent application of kind of old-school methods. And if he had won in Jacksonville – He'd still be there with those old school methods. We saw Bill Belichick over the weekend apologize for how he dealt with the media. There's always been kind of a subtle mistreatment. You could argue it's a little bullying. And, and that's what football coaches have always done. There's always been an element of verbal abuse. I'm just curious whether or not you think that maybe we're starting to get to a point where, and we know that football is kind of behind the rest of society. I just can't help but wonder whether or not we're getting to a point where people are going to stop tolerating the verbal abuse as just part of the gig of being an NFL head coach? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think more and more this game is becoming about the players and it's a partnership, right? This is not college football where they've just begun to be able to accept some money. Um, these aren't 18 and 19 and 20 year old kids. Um, so I would agree. You're starting to see a lot of young coaches that can relate to players I think Bruce Arians does a great job, and he's one of the older coaches in the league. Um, but, you know, mental illness is a real thing. Uh, we're, you know, whether it's Simone Biles, we've seen uh, a ton of examples of that, of players that have needed a break. It's a high-pressure business. I think we're starting to understand the toll it takes on them, not just physically, uh, but mentally. And, you know, I think that the quorum of, of, of life in, in, you know, in, in regular work, whether you work in an office, a hospital, whatever it is, um, is changing, and it should. And, and that's going to carry on to the football field and to those front offices and those organizations at some point. And I think it's a good thing. 
Um, there's no reason to, you know, uh, to demean people and bully them and talk to them the way Urban Meyer did anymore. I think those days are past. You got to win a lot of games for people to tolerate that. And uh, I think it's changing. And, and I think that's probably for the better. Hey, Rick, great work this month. And thanks, as always, for some of your time. Happy holidays to you and yours. And we'll talk to you again soon. Same to you guys. Great to see you. There he is, Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Times. When we return, we'll get you ready for tonight's game. We'll be right back. Two games tonight, both beginning at 7 o'clock Eastern. You will see one of them on Fox, depending upon where you reside. Washington, Philadelphia, Seattle at the Rams. COVID delays resulting from outbreaks with both the Rams and the Washington football team. Shreen, give me one thing you're looking forward to from the Washington game. I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts, and I know it's not Washington, but from the Eagles' standpoint, I want to see him, how he's going to perform when they need to win to stay in the postseason, right? And I don't know if we've seen enough of him to know what he is. 12 games this season, 2,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's been okay, 695 yards rushing, eight touchdowns. But, Mike, I just don't know. Have the Eagles seen enough of Jalen Hurts to know whether they can proceed with him as their quarterback or if they need to go find a quarterback for next season, at least one to compete with him uh, to see if he wins the job? And maybe that guy's Gardner Minshew. I don't know. But I want to see Jalen Hurts do something today against a decimated Washington team. Show me something. Yeah, I feel like they have a better chance of making it to the playoffs with Minshew than they do with Hurts, but Hurts may have the higher ceiling. Minshew could take them farther yeah. right now. Hurts may take them farther in the long run if they see him grow and develop in a way that makes them feel like he can become the guy. It's a tough decision for them to make, and it's a tough balance to strike. How concerned are you about possibly being the seventh seed and going one and done? How does that really help your program if you haven't given yourself a chance to truly know what you have in Jalen Hurts? So that's a tough call for me, and I'm going to say this as to both games. I'm just ready for them to play the games. I feel like I've been talking about (laughs) the Washington (laughs) Eagles game and the Rams-Seahawks game for a month now. Let's just play these games. And it's a shame that both teams are going to be affected by by the outbreaks to a certain extent. The Rams remain seven-point favorites, though, even without all those players because the Seahawks have been bit and the Rams are a much better team. Let's pivot to that game. What's your one thing that you want to see in Seahawks-Rams? I can't wait to see Aaron Donald again, Mike, in prime time because I think he got sick of the T.J. Watt talk for MVP and then T.J. Watt got hurt and and got out. We stopped talking about T.J. Watt for MVP. And then it was Micah Parsons. He's Defensive Player of the Year. And then they played that game against the Cardinals that was in prime time. And I think Aaron Donald said, hey, don't forget about me. 2017, 2018, 2020, I was Defensive Player of the Year. I may be the greatest defensive player in NFL history before I'm done. He has four sacks in the last two games. He can make another case, Mike, that he needs to repeat as Defensive Player of the Year. It's sort of like Bill Belichick. You could name him Defensive Player of the Year every single year and feel good about your vote. And I agree with you a thousand percent. I think he had a chip on his shoulder and a stick up his butt that Monday night after all the Micah Parsons is Lawrence Taylor talk. I really do. And, and it just shows yeah. that there still is an element of humanity. You get influenced by these things. Like I, I'm home all day Sunday and all I'm hearing about is Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons. I'll show Micah Parsons who he should be compared to. Not Lawrence Taylor. He should be looking to be compared to me. And he went out there and he got it done. So I agree with you there. Cooper Cup, I mentioned earlier, on pace yeah. almost to set the single season reception and yardage record, and the Rams have enough of that greatest show-offs on turf vibe where they'll, they'll, they'll try to boost it. They'll try to keep it going. They'll try to feed the ball as much as they can to Cooper Cup, so that'll be something to watch tonight. And the Rams breathing down the Cardinals' necks now for the NFC West crown. We'll take a break and bust open the mailbag, plus a very important NFL anniversary to commemorate. We'll do that when this Tuesday edition of PFTPM concludes right after this. I don't know how else I can say it, guys. I've said it three different occasions. Well, then I guess I have to say it. I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. I think I've said this over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. Fifteen years ago today, that was Nick Saban saying, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. I haven't checked lately. 
I think he still is to this day the Alabama coach. What a moment for the National Football League. And, look, there were other ways he could have handled it. Obviously, he still had games left. He didn't want to distract the team. He's not going to stand up there and say, yeah, I'm actually negotiating to leave here to be the Alabama coach. But that, that's one of the things I point to. Anyone, somebody tries to get me to take it face value, anything, any coach, GM, owner, or player says, people will lie when they have to in this business. And that means we're here to try to peel back that lie and tell you what the truth really is when the lies happen. Well, and he lasted longer than Bobby Petrino and Urban Meyer lasted, didn't he, Mike? That's true. He made it two full seasons, and he, he's got some revisionist history that he trots out from time to time. I may write something yeah. tonight at PFT commemorating that anniversary and also uh, uh, twisting his tail a little bit on his claim that he would still be the Dolphins coach if he had gotten a great quarterback like Drew Brees. Mike Morrell has a quick question. Who will be the next college head coach to make the jump to the NFL? Has Urban Meyer scared them all off? I think Urban Meyer has set back the quest for college coaches in the NFL five to ten yeah. years because we know it's cyclical and we know it's copycat and how could you justify rolling the dice on a college coach when we saw one of the great college coaches of all time flame out miserably the next owner who wants to do something like this is not going to be want, is not going to want to step into that that position of ultimately being told i told you so well there's one name out there mike that i would disagree with you that an nfl team could go get and everyone would feel really good about that's Jim Harbaugh. He's done it in the NFL before. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But you know what? There's still no buzz about Jim Harbaugh. There really isn't. That, not like that. And no, that probably no means buzz. the time is right for him to come back. There had been some buzz. Uh, who knows? But, but you're right. He's gotten it done. And maybe it's someone to keep an eye on. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll break them down tomorrow morning on PFT Live. Thanks for some of your time. Have a great evening. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.